bleak. If you were to take a snapshot of our world this week, it would reveal calamity at every turn and on every day, even Tuesday. From an ongoing global pandemic almost over and signs of cataclysmic climate change to the threat of nuclear war by a Russian revanchist, it can only be as the 80s rock band that was mentioned earlier, REM, asserted it's the end of the world as we know it. But is it? The Gospel of Mark gives account of Jesus's Tuesday in which he prophesies the fate of the temple, of Jerusalem, and the end times. Not surprisingly, the four disciples, they implored, when will the temple be destroyed and when will Jesus return? So, what signs should we be looking for exactly? Or do we have all the information that we already need? Hope springs eternal until the next calamity. What say you, Mark? Here's what scripture relates to us about Jesus' Tuesday. Mark 13, 1 to 4. The destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? She had come to the point in her life where she recognized she needed help. Her depression has slowly gotten worse. She had tried everything. She had tried to stay busy. She tried to exercising. She even went and talked to a therapist about her increasing depression. But it just seemed to be like a snowball that was just picking up, picking up speed as it went rolling down the mountain. She discovered the source of her depression climate change. She understood. She had read the literature. She understood that if the world continued to ignore the phenomena that is happening right now throughout our planet, that the world would not be there for her child. That her child, if the world was there, would be living in conditions that would be very difficult and traumatic and dramatic for that next generation. She finally came to the point in her climate despair where she realized she needed help. Because as she looked into the future, there was no hope. All she could see was pain and suffering and possibly nothingness. That our planet may not be in existence and the population of the Homo sapiens would be minimal. But she's not alone. There are many individuals who are experiencing not only climate despair, but they are experiencing other forms of despair when they look at the current situation 
of our world. As was mentioned by Janelle, just think about the different things that are taking place throughout our world. We have the military not only on the east side dealing with what's happening in Russia and in the Gulf, but we also have it on the west side with the threat of the possibility of what China may or may not do in the future. Over two million individuals have left Ukraine fleeing, refugees. Just imagine what that's like. Imagine telling your children to take what they can, as little as they can, so that you can make this journey out of your country, not knowing if you will ever return. And when you do return, you have no idea what you're coming back to. Imagine, you're talking about PTSD? Imagine the trauma that is created in these two million individuals. And on top of that, more than likely, some of them have left family members behind to fight in a battle, never knowing if they will see them again. What kind of hope is that? What would you tell them? Where would you tell them to put their sense of hope in the future? If you were a young person, why would you have children? Why would you bring them into a world where this kind of turmoil continues to exist? And again, it's not just over in Russia and Ukraine. There are hot spots throughout our globe. We have the capability as human beings, we are intelligent enough to know how to destroy each other and our planet. We, we got it figured out. So where in the world are we supposed to have any sense of hope as we look into the future? I mean, here's another one. How many of you put gas in your car this last week? Yeah, you probably lost some money that you could use to go out to eat. The price of gasoline and inflation. We are, in my opinion, just beginning to see how that will continue to grow and the stress that that will put on family units when they have to make a decision on how they're going to use their limited resources to provide for their families. For those who are retired, now you got to stretch the limited income you had to begin with. You're going to have to make it last longer because the price of all our goods are going to continue to go up. So what kind of hope should we have as we look into the future? Is it the end of the world? Some individuals would say yes, that we may not have a planet 100 years from now. There may be a complete reset here on this earth. The reality is, this isn't the first time that's happened. Throughout time, individuals have been faced with certain situations that have created a great deal of stress in, in their lives, and the idea of wondering, what does the future look like? What hope is there? 
you know, one of the advantages of growing older is once you're on the backside of your life, you pretty well know where the bus is coming. You kind of have an idea. When I was 20, that bus was a long ways away. And now that I'm almost 30, that bus is closer. But when I stop and think about my grandchildren, they don't even know that there is a bus. But the reality is they are faced with challenges. But that's not the first time it's happened in the, in the history of a, our human race. In around A.D. 64 to 70, right around that period, about 30, 40 years after Jesus was here on this earth, things got really difficult for those who were living in Palestine, in particular the Jews. Their identity, their sense of who they were was so wrapped up in the temple, which was in Jerusalem, not only the capital of their existence, but also the religious center of their existence. The temple represented where God dwelt in their presence. If you ever had any doubts about the future, you could at least turn and look at Jerusalem and know that there was hope because God was there. But about 64 AD, a group of insurrectionists got tired of being under the control of the Romans. They had not heard about the message that Jesus had talked about that love and peace and nonviolence would rule the day. They had waited and watched and nothing had changed. So they figured the only way to really gain their freedom again was to pick up the sword. And they went and they initially had great success. And it took about five years for the Romans to bring Jerusalem back under control. But when in the midst of all of that, a lot of what is happening in Ukraine happened there. They decimated the city and they decimated the temple. I mean, a lot of what's happening in Ukraine right now is to discourage the people so that they will not fight. The same tactic was used almost 2,000 years ago. So they went and they attacked the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, and that way squelching all hope and any possibility of future rebellion. Just stomp them down. Take away all their hope for a future. And when they lost that, and it didn't matter if they were Jewish or if they were Christian Jews, when they lost the temple, it literally shook their world. And any sense of hope in the future was gone. They would sit around in small groups and they would talk about what might be in the future, if there was going to be a future. It literally felt like the end of the world as they knew it. 
And so when the writer of the Gospel of Mark decided to sit down and write about the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, he was trying to make sense of what had just happened to him and to his community. And one of the ways of recording that was to talk about what Jesus' life was, at, was, what it was like as if Jesus knew what would happen. So Jesus was seen as prophesying, predicting the fall of Jerusalem. And in my opinion, that's what we find in Mark chapter 13. They pulled on all sorts of literature, apocalyptic literature, not only within the Old Testament, but also apocalyptic literature as it was fluctuating and moving around in the Persian Empire. All of that they begin to use to describe how Jesus predicted this to happen. They wanted someone in control. And so if Jesus could have predicted this, it would give them a sense of like, well, it just didn't happen. So they talked about Jesus predicting this event. And then they found their element of hope. What they could hang their hope on. Their hope was that Jesus would come back. That Jesus would return. Today we call it the second coming of Jesus. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 13. And again, from my opinion, it is the writer who is giving us this idea that Jesus is predicting the future, that Jesus is talking about his second coming. In verse 26, it says the following, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. They have Jesus define himself as the Son of Man, which refers back to the book of Daniel. So they, as, as a good Jewish individual, you wouldn't see that connection. But then listen to verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I mean, the president of Ukraine has become quite popular because of his stirring speeches to inspire his people. That's exactly what the writer's doing here. The writer has Jesus say, look, I'm coming back. They tried to kill me, but they can't keep a good man down. I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'll finish the work that I started. So imagine hearing that, reading this, you could, that's something you can put hope in. You can get excited about. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, they will not pass away. Imagine that sense of hope that they had again in their future, that Jesus would come again in their lifetime. I can't remember what age I was when I first heard about the literal second coming of Jesus. That's what I grew up with. I grew up believing in a literal second coming of Jesus. The only challenge I had was these verses. Because if you take it literally, if Jesus is predicting the future, right? Jesus was wrong. 
It's been almost 2,000 years. Where's Jesus? According to this, Jesus said that he would come while these people were still alive. It never happened. But yet, as a child, that is what I put my hope in. I remember what it was like for my parents to have to wait in line to get gas back in the 70s. In California, it was based upon the last number on your license plate. If it was odd, you could go on an odd day and get gas. If it was even, you went to a, on an even day and got your gas. I remember what it was like growing up in Southern California to have a water shortage. I lived with the reality that it was the end of the world was very, very soon. But my hope was the second coming of Jesus. That's an idea that I no longer believe in. I remember when it switched in my mind. I was talking to this other minister who was not a part of the denomination I grew up in, and I asked him one time, I said, do you believe in the literal second coming of Jesus? And he looked at me, and I can still hear his voice. He said, well, he said, I never knew he left. He had a different way of looking at this story. That somehow the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of the Christ, is still with us. And I wonder if there was a little bit of a hint of this that the writer put in the Gospel of Mark. Just a hint, not to take away and not to lose people in their sense of hope of the coming of Jesus, but just a hint that if it doesn't happen, we still might have hope. Now, that's something you have to think about for yourself. Do you believe in a literal second coming of Jesus? Do you believe that will solve our problems? Yes, climate change is a reality, but hey, if Jesus is coming back, and if you read the second half of Revelation literally, especially Revelation 21 and 2021, ooh, there will be a new creation. There will be a new heaven, a new earth. We won't have to worry about climate change. We won't have to worry about dictators like Putin because God is going to make everything right when Jesus comes back. Do you believe that? If you do, that will give you a great sense of hope. And you will have to ignore all the other things that are going around, but you can have hope in that. But if you don't believe in the literal second coming of Jesus, if you don't believe that Jesus ever left our earth and that the spirit of Jesus is beyond just one person, if you believe that, where's your hope? Some of you might be saying, you know, I'm in my 80s, I'm in my 90s. I can actually see the bus coming now. I don't have anything to worry about. 
I'll be gone. Let the next generation worry about that stuff. How dare you think that way? You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility for the generations to come. Now, this is the perfect time if we were a church that talked back to their ministers for you to say, Amen. We do. I mean, we're going to try it again. We have a responsibility to the next generation. Thank you. That's why uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to chase a rabbit just for a minute. Please excuse me. This was not even in my sermon. I'm going to chase a little rabbit here. That's why Beatitudes has to stay alive. That's why we have to be here, folks. Because people need a sense of hope. They need to know there's other ways you can live the Christian life. And when they feel like they don't belong in other places, they know they can belong here. That's why you are such a vital part of this and the future of this. All right, we caught the rabbit. Now let's get back. Okay? Oh, gosh, my sermon. Whoop. <laughs> That's the disadvantage of not preaching with notes. Um, oh. Does anyone remember? <laughs> yes, our responsibility of giving a sense of hope. <laughs> See, now you know why you got to listen, because I might forget. <laughs> That's our responsibility. Listen to what this one person has said. Fabulous. In contrast to this idea that when Jesus returns, that everything's going to be okay, the writer of Mark has Jesus talking about our responsibilities. Now listen to this. At the very end of Mark 13, remember I said there was this hint of something that maybe Jesus may not be coming back? Listen to what this says. Verse 33, take heed. Now that's in the English translation. In the original language, the word is just one verb. It's a command. It's an imperative. See. See. Hear that? See. Pay, which means pay attention. See. Keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. Hear that? All of a sudden the writer says, Jesus is coming back, but we don't know when. Verse 34. It is like a man who went away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge of the house, hear this now, ready? Assign to each one his task and also commanded the doorkeeper to stay alert. In just 
five verses, the writer repeats four times, keep on the alert, verse 33. Verse 34, stay on the alert. Verse 35, be on the alert. Verse 37, be on the alert. So even if you don't believe in the second coming of Jesus, the writer wants to tell you, no matter how long your life here is on the earth, you have certain responsibilities to not only your generation, but for generations to come. You have certain responsibilities that it is up to you to fulfill. And those responsibilities were started by Jesus. So if Jesus never literally physically returns to the earth, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus has followers, Christians, who believe in what Jesus was about, who believe that the power of love and compassion would overthrow violence and hatred. That's what Jesus stood for. And by standing for that, he believed it would make a difference in our world. And now that is our responsibility. And the next generation is watching us. And they want to know if we're serious about that or not. Because they're looking for hope. Because they're growing up in a world that, unfortunately, oh, You know, one of the disadvantages of... When I grew up, I never swore. Never. And then I switched to the UCC. <laughs> and unfortunately, when I'm preaching sometimes, the only word I can come into my mind is one of them. They're looking at a world that is in trouble. That's the best I can give you right now. They're looking at a world that is in trouble, folks. And they're looking at us and trying to find some kind of hope. So my question for you today is what is your responsibility? I don't care how many years you have left before the bus pulls up in front of you and you get on. What is your responsibility? To those who are alive now and for the generations to come, what is your responsibility? I hope that you will take the time this week to do something for me. Either get out your electronic device or pull out your Bible and read. Starting like in Mark chapter 11, 12. And read the rest of Holy Week. And ask yourself, why did Jesus die? far more than just why did he as far as atonement and all that why did he die what was he willing to stand for 
What was he see as his responsibility that he ended up dying because of? And as you read that, I ask you to think about for yourself, what is your responsibility? What is the Spirit of Jesus? What is the Spirit of the Christ calling you to be or do so that my grandchildren, your children and your grandchildren will have something to be hopeful for. That they won't grow up in a world where all they feel is despair. You have to decide that. I hope you will take the time to think about it. Amen.